it's not only great to see you all this morning, it's great to sing with you all this morning. It's so much better than singing with the TV, although those of you that are home, uh, one of the joys that I have of singing to my TV at home is I can sing as loud as I want and nobody like cringes around them. So whether you're here with us live or you're at home, I trust that you're enjoying that opportunity to worship the Lord through song today. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 4, and I just want to share with you uh, really along this, this topic of freed uh, and just some things that God has been teaching me. I hope it connects with you also wherever you're at. I don't know where you're going to be at in this journey. Uh, so the easiest thing and the simplest thing when you come into a church and you have one opportunity to share, you would either expect me to share on missions and we will connect that in. Or, or the other thing is to continue to share just what God is teaching, continuing to teach me on this whole aspect of freed. Paul, here in the, in the book of Galatians, is talking um, just a lot about uh, doctrine and sharing with the church specific things. And as he comes into chapter 4, he transitions here really with the personal plea. And that's where we're going to pick it up today. And uh, hopefully you'll also be encouraged to jump back in and read some other aspects. But let's just read in Galatians chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 8. Or let's pick it up in verse 7. He, he hits the intro here and he's making the transition here in his letter. Um, and it says in verse 7, So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And so he's, he's putting together the position of who he's talking to. He's talking to followers of Christ, those that know Christ as their personal Savior. And he picks it up here with this next concern that he shares in this personal transition in verse 8. And let's just let me read it for us and then just follow along as we connect into Paul's words. It says, But in the past, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and bankrupt elemental forces? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You observe special days, months, seasons, and years. I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. I beg you, brothers, become like me, for I also became like you. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a physical illness. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. What happened to this sense of being blessed that you had? For I testified to you that, if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? They are enthusiastic about you and not for your good. Instead, they want to isolate you so you will be enthusiastic about them. Now it is always good to be enthusiastic about good and not just when I am with you. My children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I would like, you, I would like to be with you right now and to change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. And so we can pick up a lot from this passage and hopefully it'll encourage you to jump into all of Galatians and to see this struggle uh, that Paul is sharing here where people, he talks about their, their current state with Jesus Christ. They are, they are children of God. They have trusted Christ as their Savior. They are freed from the slavery of what used to be tradition above salvation. 
And when you look at being controlled under the law, none of us, especially those of you here in America, we, we are a free nation. And part of the internal battle that we go through, anytime it's a political year, anytime you have this world crisis, is are our freedoms being hinged upon? Are they being infringed upon? Where freedoms are being taken away? And I love the fact that the U.S. has always been founded on the aspect of being free. And so we can relate a little bit to where they're at, but to a more extreme, because what Paul is saying here is, you used to be enslaved, and now you're free. Why do you want to go back to non-freedom. Why do you want to go back to non-freedom? And as I read this passage, there's a lot of things that disconnect for me because I think this was 2,000 years ago and it was a different religious state at that time and different transitions. But yet as I read and soak in this passage, there are so many things that God teaches me out of this. And hopefully you'll, you'll continue on this journey today as we just talk about this. Freedom from legalism. Freedom from legalism. And Paul shares with them so clearly, and I love this picture that he talks about here in these first uh, verses 8 to 11, um, you, you were enslaved, but now you're not enslaved. And I love this picture, verse 9, but now since you know God, that's our perspective in knowing who God is. We, they were introduced to God, and you've been introduced to God as your Savior. And then it says, but also you have been known by God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It's not only our perspective of knowing who God is, but God's perspective of knowing us. And it's crazy that he knows the world and he created everything, but he also knows like you and me, the little dot for me that sits in South Africa, your little dot that sits here in Beckley. He knows us as an individual. And he continues on those aspects. He said, you've become enslaved all over again. And he talks about, there's always a balance in this where he talks about tradition, and tradition is not bad unless tradition becomes more important than relationship with God. Because he talks about you're, 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 you're worshiping special days and months and seasons and the moon feast and the tabernacles and Sabbath and all these things that weren't by themselves bad, but when they became the God instead of God being God, they lost their freedom and went back into legalism. And I want us just to pick up on a, a, a couple simple thoughts when we look at this, but I want us to process this. Where, where are we at in this process? And what does this look like for me? Maybe what does it look like for you? The African context is always what comes to mind. That's home for us. Sorry, that, that's where things shift. And the more and more we come back to the U.S., the more and more I realize I don't always know what your context is because your context and your culture is not a culture that I'm living in and studying. So let me share with you the African context, and you'll have to make the parallels to your immediate context. Jesus plus what? That's what Paul's talking about, right? Jesus plus what? And in the extreme aspects, if you were to come to Africa, there's some religious groups that would be very different to you. They would be ZCC. They would be African tradition religion where they would take Jesus Christ because the story is told as Westerners come to America and ask people, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yes. Do you go to church? Yes. If you were to die, would you spend eternity in heaven? Yes. And they go, that's awesome. Africa is saved. They don't need more gospel. But they have forgotten to ask the questions about the plus. Jesus plus what? And so we live in South Africa, which is probably one of the most modern countries in Africa. Johannesburg, very much first world, not third world. We have third world right next door. And I could take you to Samson's home. Who, he's our missionary team leader in Zimbabwe. And uh, last year he was able to purchase an X3. And any BMW fans in here? We see them on the road. You know what an X3 is, an X5? 
Well, his X3, I should have brought a picture, is a donkey cart with three donkeys on the front because they used to have an X2, but with three donkeys, you can go a whole lot farther than with just two donkeys. And when he upgrades to an X5, that's a long distance trip that you can do. And Samson jokes about that because he also comes down to Johannesburg, South Africa, where when you go to the robot, when you go to the traffic light, you see an X5 around you because of the wealth of that. So what I share with you is not maybe what was a picture in your mind of rural, unreached Africa in a hut where we kill the goat because we still do that for camp there, for, for camp food. But you would think of that in a different context. This happens in the city of five and a half million people where you begin not only to worship God, but you begin to worship your ancestors. Because every ancestor that dies is now closer to God. Well, what happens when you worship your ancestors? And this is, this is modern. This is, this is middle-class and upper-class Africa that will worship ancestors. It doesn't matter if your ancestor was saved or not saved. They could have been a horrible criminal, but once they die, for some reason, they're closer to God. And so you pray to them. You no longer pray to God. You no longer pray through Jesus Christ to God our Father. And so the plus can become tradition that comes back into our lives from so many thousands of years of wrong belief that we hold on to it, thinking that tradition is more important than relationship. They go to the Sangoma. What's the Sangoma? That's a witch doctor. And it's amazing to me, um, even friends of ours, even the parents of some of our missionaries who will trust modern medicine to a point, and then they'll go to a traditional healer. And I have no problem with tradition. When you talk about homeopathic, um, at my age, my chiropractor is one of my best friends, like these natural remedies. I need every remedy I can. But when you go there and they start to offer sacrifices and pray to not God, but they pray to a darkness that they think is light, you begin to realize how legalism has crept back in to our modern worship in Africa. You'll, ha- you'll have everyone teaching things that, that will go to um, totally go against Scripture, but they sound so good, and if you say something long enough, people begin to believe you. Uh, you. You'll have people that will use the Bible to say certain races are superior to others, and this is right across Africa. I understand racism in different countries can be based on language. It can be based on color. It can be based on economics. Economic racialism is one of the worst things that we see, haves and have-nots, and yet God says the poor will always be with us. What does that look like? Does that become more important than a relationship with God? What happens then is people then begin to preach what people want to hear, and I could open up the Bible, and if I were a prosperity gospel preacher, I could share with you that if you get God, you will get rich, and you will all want to get rich, so you will get God. And then when you don't get rich, you get disillusioned in God, but it's not the God we're talking about. It's a God that man has created. And that, that reality comes very close here, because this is like prosperity road, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, that's a bad dad joke. I told Che that I, I just had to share that for her today. But when you look at the prosperity gospel and you say, well, how could people believe that? People by the millions believe that every day because they're looking for hope. And Paul shares in this passage, he says, I am sharing with you truth. Why are you now offended by the truth that I share to you? Jesus plus will hurt you. Spiritual disciplines in our life. We, Christy and I have, have the joy and the privilege of working with young people, working with middle age, working with people that are our age, which we still think are young, but we're not quite as young. This whole 50 thing is just a different world for me. I didn't struggle with 30s, 40s, 50s. I'm not struggling with, I'm just in denial about them. So I still feel like I'm about 30 years old and that's what we're sticking with in our youth ministry. But we have the privilege of discipling young people in those different age categories. 
And it's interesting because one of the things that we will talk about is spiritual disciplines, and it's important to be disciplined. Spiritual disciplines, as I, I had a chance to meet with one of the men that, that discipled me in ministry when I was 23 years of age. I met with him the other week in North Carolina. What a joy. He's still serving the Lord. He gave me four books, gave me three challenges of what I still need to be doing in ministry. He's still discipling. But even discipleship can shift to legalism, can it? When the process in the chart and the program that impacted my life becomes more important than the relationship with God. So maybe it's not ancestor worship that you're battling with or prosperity gospel, but maybe it's a legalism and a set saying, but this discipline helped me and it could help somebody else. And so if I over program it and I make it simple because it's convenient and I forget the aspect that discipleship is life upon life. And that's what Paul's saying here. He says, listen, we were so close. We were, we were incredibly close. That's why I'm sharing this with you. It's not about program, but I've seen your heart shift. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, and I love this quote. He says, legalism gives the appearance of spiritual maturity while leading people back into a second childhood of Christian experience. Legalism. As a, as a Westerner going into Africa, you would, you would know this as you study missiology, and this is not a new concept for you. You would not expect me to go to Africa and imprint every single program the way it looked in America because you would want me to culturalize that, and yet you would want me to teach spiritual disciplines. And yet the danger can be there because the danger can be the aspect of saying, God is teaching me so much, let me do the exact same formula in your life that it did in my life. God may be working that out in my life over the past 35 years, but he can do it in yours in six months if you follow this program. And I can force someone into second childhood Christianity instead of listening to God, they begin to listen to Christy or to myself. Freed of legalism, that's what Paul's passion was. But also, secondly here, freed for relationship. And I love this part, and I just want you to think, I hope this will come across clear as I share this morning. But this is where, where it all begins. If you look at what Paul is saying and the truth in which he's communicating, Paul's one of those individuals, like he, he, he wrote these incredible letters. Today, he'd be sending text messages all over the place. Facebook Messenger, iMessage, text, whatever it would be, he'd have the first unlimited text package because he would be writing everybody. And even with that, he talks about this relationship because he says, I wish I could be with you so you could hear my tone. Wow. He would be talking to everybody on Facebook today, wouldn't he? People post stuff, and I don't know about you, the most depressing day is when you go on and you read news feeds and you read what everybody's posting, and I'm very cautious what to post because I realize people can't read tone, can they? And Paul says it's all about relationship. He said, because we have the relationship, you understand that my tone, my heart is meaning this correctly. And it's a crazy picture. Just, just, just to get, get this thought that we read in those verses there, he says, we were so close that you would pluck your eye out for me. How awkward is that? Like that, that's just kind of, it must have been a, a, a language colloquialism that they shared at that time going like, wow, here, do you want my eye? This type of thing. Totally crazy with that aspect. But it lets us understand what a close relationship they had. See, relationship was more important than program. Freedom to have this relationship. Freedom to have a relationship that was not legalistic. Freedom to have a relationship that gave freedom for people to actually have a different opinion a different thought, 
but not a different basis for truth from the word of God. And how does that balance out? Because we all have a different personality. We have a different spiritual gift that God has given to us. We see things differently. My father-in-law, who's now home in heaven, was a, was a civil engineer. Every time I drive on the roads of West Virginia, when it goes up to 70 miles an hour and across the bridges, I think of him because he built a bunch of those. Engineers think differently. Evangelists have a different way of thinking. Pastor teachers think differently. People with the gift of mercy process something differently. And to appreciate and to encourage those different relationships and those different personalities without changing the truth is what Paul is talking about here. You're all different. How do we continue together? He he makes this statement. He says, become like me just as I became like you. What What did Paul say? In the New Testament, I've become all things to all people so that I could share the gospel. And I often think of that as my, as my age begins the 50s. And we've been living now in South Africa for 15 years. And I begin to think I've learned South African culture, but maybe it's really the city that I live in. And now we get to travel to these different countries in Africa. And I begin to see similarities and I begin to see differences. And every single week as I talk to men and women, I have to be a student of their culture because I need to understand where they're coming from to understand what their response or what they're saying might be to me. And what do they mean? What do they mean verbally? What do they mean non-verbally? And that's the passion and the work that Paul took into knowing them to becoming like them so that he could share with them what they understood. I fear as I get older that there will be a bigger generation gap. My daughter's 21 years old and she is a wonderful teacher into my life. I used to teach her things. Then all of a sudden you get a point where your kids become smarter than you. My son's in fourth year medical school. Pretty sure I've never read a book as long as he's read for any one of his courses in my entire life, even if it was a theology book. And our children become teachers. And one of my fears is is that I will miss a generation because it doesn't take long at all to become out of touch with the culture we're trying to reach. And if I miss the one generation, it's going to be very simple to miss the generation past where my kids are at in university. And Paul says, you know what? Regardless of what it is, I want to reach somebody else. I want to become a student of your culture. I want to become a student of where you're at. I want to become a student of how you're thinking. Because the easy thing for me, and this is where it's easy for me to disconnect, is, oh, kids today are just different than us. And I'm listening to that come out of my mouth, and I'm going, I just sound like my dad. I even started drinking seltzer. I knew I became my dad when I started drinking seltzer. But I realized how easy it is to disconnect with things. And you might look at this aspect, and I can remember Doc Parvin asking me this about 10 years ago. He goes, listen, Africa is generally a Christian continent. Why do we need missionaries in Africa? And it was a brilliant question, a spot-on question, because we have to think through those things. And as I continue to think about that question that he asked me 10 or 12 years ago, the reality is that we're only about a half a generation away in losing the fact of teaching the Word of God. Why? Not that the gospel's changed, but maybe we've become tired in discipleship. Maybe I disciple someone, great, I've had an opportunity to disciple someone, I'm done. And as I met with the gentleman who discipled me, his name is Mike, he shared with me three 20-year-olds, he's now 70, three 20-year-olds he's discipling. He's doing marriage counseling for a couple who's 23 years old. I'm going, wow, that's how old Christy and I were when we got married. 
23 and 25. And I thought at 70, he never quit doing what he was called to do regardless of generation. So instead for me, my mindset has to shift. Instead of saying, you just don't understand it. You young people think differently. You guys don't work as hard as we did. Is it different? Absolutely it's different. I mean, I can spend half of my week, which I do every week, and Christy does the same on a cell phone doing video calls to guys in Africa. In Africa. I don't even think they had the internet like 10 years ago. In Africa. That was the Jetsons cartoon. How many of you in my generation, you remember the Jetsons where you could see that on the TV? That was never going to happen. And now we carry it in our pocket. Have things changed? Absolutely. Do I like those changes? Absolutely. Because I couldn't talk to a guy and pray with him about a current request previously because I had to wait for that aerogram blue paper to show up with their letter a month later. And now they text me and say, I'm getting ready to speak. Can you pray for me? Can you pray with me? Things change, and I don't ever want to get stuck into the trap of going back to a modern sense of legalism. I don't want to ever get stuck in the trap of because I don't understand something, I won't continually learn this generation so that I can have a deeper relationship. Who was doing that in this passage in Galatians 4? He talks about they. They are enticing you. They are trying to cause division. They are trying to get you away, the Judaizers. And guess what? They were intentional and what they were doing. Because they wanted people to follow them. They wanted to isolate them from what they had heard or what they had known about the truth. Paul is calling them to live independent of the law, and Judaizers are trying to convince him that they needed to live under the law for a deeper relationship with God. Do you see how subtle they would change their terminology? Because everybody wants a deeper relationship with God. Well, if you want a deep, deep relationship and not just a casual, deep relationship, you need to follow the law. You need to go back to more distinct 700 plus laws that you need to follow and not just the 10. And so you can understand how things sound good, but they might not be true at all. So Paul lived like them to reach them, but he said, don't continue to live under legalism. You are now freed for relationship. Invest into others. Listen to this quote. In seeking to win other people for Christ, our end is to make them like us. But the means to that end is to make ourselves like them. If they are to become one with us in Christian conviction and experience, we must first become one with them in Christian compassion. And that's my fear, even as Christy and I continue to work into Africa, is that I will lose that compassion. I will become cynical and I will justify the fact that they just don't get it. Instead of saying, how can I bring it to them so that they will get it? Freedom for relationship. He says these comments, he says, you received me so well, you listened to me, you received the message, you were not turned off by my illness, you welcomed me, you were so close to me that I would have taken my eyes out for you. And I have to ask myself, is that true wherever I go? Is that true just in Africa? Is it true just in South Africa? Will it be true in Ethiopia? That I will take time to build those relationships in order to have compassion on them so that we can speak the truth of God into somebody else's life. What about you where you're at? Now, we've asked you to engage and to pray for Africa, but the uncomfortable part about that is we would love for you to pray that maybe God would send you to Africa. 
The other part that goes along with the Jetsons cartoons and seeing TV is that mission song that your pastor did not write, but we used to joke about and sing, Lord, please don't send me to Africa. You remember that one? He did, and it's really good. We're okay with that. <laughs> like we're asking him, God, please send more people to Africa. Because if we have 54 nations, we've got an amazing Christian school that sits in Mombasa. Actually, the, the area is called Ukunda. Um, not, not Akanda, not like the Black Panther thing, but Ukunda, it's an actual place. And in that community, the number one religion is Muslim religion. We get to reach Muslims in Africa, but not in some of the crazy areas. Our our team in Nigeria faces a lot of opposition with violent Muslims. The ones in Akunda are there because of the tourist trade and very peaceful. But how do they come to us? They come to our Christian school that teaches Christ to them. How do we reach them and have compassion where they're at? My friend Peter Odanga, who leads our ministry there, once a month has a nighttime under the lights in the city of Mombasa cycle ride that is mainly sponsored by Muslim business people. 150 cyclists will go out and they ask him to open the ride in prayer because he has compassion on them. What does compassion look like? In Johannesburg, we have 100,000 Chinese. We have a Chinese couple, Arthur and Lucy. Yang and Fei and Yang Ru are their Chinese names. We have a Chinese Bible club and a Chinese church that speaks Mandarin Chinese in Johannesburg, South Africa. Guess what every country in Africa has a Chinese population that never shows up on statistics because they're there for business or they're working for the government. We will reach Chinese in Africa and every year they go home to China for a month and they will take the gospel with them to China out of Africa. We have had to totally learn to think differently in Africa and ask God to give us his vision for Africa in creative ways that never were part of my strategic plan 15 years ago. Do we continue to learn the culture where we're at? And just as we wrap up too, this whole aspect of becoming like Christ, freedom from legalism, freedom for relationships, and take a chance on relationships, freedom to become like Christ, to help others become like Christ. He says this down in verse 17, 18, and 19. He talks about this aspect, and he asks this question, do you look like Christ yet? You received Christ, you're a child of Christ, do you look like him yet? Do I look like Christ yet? No. It's a continual discipleship process and a learning process in my life to look more like Christ. And that's the same thing that we want to share with other people. That's the same thing. The process of discipleship often involves someone else sharing with us the changes that are needed. And that's where Paul is at in chapter four, where he says, I'm writing to you, brothers and sisters, because my heart hurts for you because I want to see change. I don't want to see you change and go back to the old way. I want to see you change to become more like Christ. And so that's one of the reasons, too, I'm convinced that people don't get involved in discipleship. Fear of rejection. What if I say the truth to the person? What if I say the truth? This is a personal journey that God brought me on. My wife used to look at me and say, what you say often is right, but how you say it's really bad. You really hurt people. And God is still working on that in my life, not only to say truth, but to say it in such a way that people will receive it. But that's sometimes our fear in discipleship. What if I say something and they reject it? They're rejecting me. And we go, no, they're actually not rejecting me. They're, direct, they're rejecting Christ. Unless I'm trying to make them a disciple of me, where I should be trying to make them a disciple of Christ. 
fear of rejection. So this whole aspect of becoming like Christ is a lifelong process. And Paul says that. He says, I wish I could be with you so that you know my tone. He writes them a letter because they can't be with them, but he continues to communicate. He loves them so much to the point, not just that awkward example where, hey, you would pluck your eye out and give it to me. He says, I love you so much, I can't stay quiet. I have to speak into your life. No matter how much we hate confrontation or we hate correcting things in other people's lives because it becomes uncomfortable, awkward, or there might be rejection, somebody might question what we're asking and we have to go back and really think through that answer. He says, I love you so much that I want to speak truth into your life. Paul stopped everything that he did to do what God wanted him to do. And then he continued the relationship with people that God brought across his path. He never stopped that relationship. And that's the perspective that we need to have. That's the perspective that we need to have in our churches, in our businesses, in our schools, in our families, and in the mission field around the world, that it will be a continual ongoing relationship pointing people to Christ and encouraging them in their walk with Jesus Christ. One of the things that I'm personally excited about about this whole COVID-19 is one, the day that we can stop talking about COVID-19. But the other aspect is everything that it caused us to stop doing. It's like a reset button. When we were sent to South Africa, they said, hey, you need to go there and you need to learn the culture and then you need to ask God what he wants you to do. Well, we figured it out and we've been doing it for 15 years and God asked us to stop. God allowed us, forced us to stop and ask that question again. And when everything stops, we have to ask God the logical question, what things should we start again? Because even in our desire to reach that culture, there are things that we do that we do because we've always done them in those 15 years and they've always worked, but maybe they're no longer what God wants us to do. Change. I won't ask for a show of hands. How many of you love change? My dad, who was a manager of a Bible college for many years, he said, I love change in other people's lives. I like to inflict change on other people but we're not always comfortable with the change in our life. God is asking us to change. Everything has shifted. Everything's different. It won't go back to the way it was because the way it was, we only remember the good from the way it was. God says, if you have a chance now to do things differently, do them differently because it's all about people. It's not about programs. We stopped by a church in North Carolina the other week and I loved it. The t-shirts that the, the music band was wearing said, faith over fear. And they picked that back in January before they had any clue what this year was going to look like. And I thought, as a missionary in South Africa, that's what I need. Faith over fear. What should I fear? Not life. I should fear being stuck in tradition and not changing where God wants me to change. I should fear that I create a new, better-looking sense of legalism that's completely wrong. I should fear not following God. I should fear not opening my mouth because communicating through a mask is so different. When you walk in, I love to say hi to everybody until I can't see their face and I have to consciously say, say hello to somebody. I fear getting comfortable in the new normal instead of allowing God to work through the new normal to let us see and do things we didn't even know existed before this new time. I believe that God has taken this time in America and in Africa, and is using it to shift Christians to have a focus on him and what we're doing and who we're reaching and in how we're doing it. So as you pray for us in Africa, we pray for you right here in Beckley, that God won't do things the same 
and that we'll be part of that different in our communities and our touches. God, I thank you for your word. It makes us uncomfortable, and you know that. I thank you for characters like Paul that bring out truths, and he he passionately communicates them personally because I have some of the same fears that Paul did. Like, I can't be with you, so you're not going to listen to what I had to say. Lord, I fear, I fear going opposite of Paul's example and, and sharing with someone what they need to do and never taking time to build that relationship. Lord, I fear only desiring relationships of people who look like me, sound like me, and think like me instead of people who are completely opposed to the worldview that you have established. Lord, I want to build relationships with them so that I can point them to you. Help us to be willing to change and to do things differently as you lead and direct us. In Jesus' name.